will remain standing. Take your Bible together with me and turn to Isaiah 59. Isaiah 59, beginning from verse 1 to 13. We'll continue making our way through the book of Isaiah tonight. And we find ourselves in chapter 59, verse 1 to 13. The word of the Lord. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, or his ear dull that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden and your sins have hidden his face from you, so that he does not hear. For your hands are defiled with blood, and your fingers with iniquity. Your lips have spoken lies, your tongue matters wickedness. No one enters suit justly. No one goes to law honestly. They rely on empty pleas. They speak lies. They conceive mischief and give birth to iniquity. They hatch others' eggs. They weave the spider's web. He who eats their eggs dies, and from one that is crushed, a viper is hatched. Their webs will not serve as clothing. Men will not cover themselves with what they make. Their works are works of iniquity, and deeds of violence are in their hands. Their feet run to evil. And they are swift to shed innocent blood. Their thoughts are thoughts of iniquity. Desolation and destruction are in their highways. The way of peace they do not know. And there is no justice in their path. They have made their roads crooked. No one who treads on them knows peace. Therefore, Justice is far from us, and righteousness does not overtake us. We hope for light, and behold, darkness. And for brightness, but we walk in gloom. We grope for the wall like the blind. We grope like those who have no eyes. We stumble at noon as in the twilight among those in full vigor, a vigor we are we like dead men. We all growl like bears. We mourn and mourn like doves. We hope for justice, but there is none. For salvation, but it is far from us. For our transgressions are multiplied before you, and our sins testify against us. For our transgressions are with us, and we know our iniquities transgressing and denying the Lord and turning back from following our God, speaking oppression and revolt, conceiving and uttering from the heart lying words. Let's pray. 
our Father and our God, the unfolding of your word gives light. It imparts understanding to the simple. And tonight we ask you to make us simple people, to make us humble so that we too receive insight and understanding from you, our God, for the good of our souls. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Those of you who were here last Sunday evening, in uh, Isaiah 58, we saw an admonition about false worship, a warning to God's people from God himself through Isaiah about religious hypocrisy. There the people were praying and fasting. And God was not hearing. They were engaged in worship. They were engaged in keeping the Sabbath, the Lord's day. But the Lord was not pleased with them. It was not because he was unable to hear. But it was because he was disinterested in their prayers. Notice verse 6. In chapter 58. Is not this the fast that I choose? To lose the bones of wickedness. To undo the straps of the yoke. To let the oppressed go free. And to break every yoke. God was saying you are praying. You are fasting. You are coming to the temple. But you are not doing all these things from your heart. They are not true, true worship. I'm not pleased with what you are pretending to do because it is not true. It is not a matter of the heart. So God was not uh, interested in their prayers. You remember God told the prophet Isaiah in chapter 58 verse 1 to speak loudly. Clearly, with no fear, and to tell the people of Israel what their sins were. Now, in chapter 59, verse 1 to 13, we see two things taking place, two things happening. The first one I want us to see from chapter 59, uh, verse 1 to 8 is God's condemnation on the people. It's getting worse. God is more angry, more um, dissatisfied with how his people were behaving um, in his sight. So we see God's condemnation on the people. And then secondly, we see the people's confession before God. And you see that from verse 9, to 13. And then I want us to consider what the remedy is. The question here is, 
what is the problem? Why uh, does it seem that uh, God is not going to deliver his people, save his people, help his people, act on behalf of the people? If he's sovereign, if he, if he chose his people, if he loves them, why not he saves them? Why not he delivers them? What was the problem? So first, we see the condemnation. Listen to Isaiah. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, or his ear dull that it cannot hear. This is foundational. This is the core issue here. Why? What is the problem? Is it God to be blamed? Or the people? Who is the problem? That God is, is not going to save his people, deliver his people. You see here God is described as um, having ears and hands. Isaiah is, is speaking of God in a human form. So that my, my feeble mind, your feeble mind would uh, comprehend what is going on here. Would understand who God is and how he deals with his people. When the Bible speaks about God's hand, it is the description of God's power. When the scripture speaks of God's ears, it's a reference to God hearing the prayers of his people. In Isaiah 41.10, Fear not, I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you, I will help you, I will uphold you with my righteous hand, powerful hand. I will deliver you with my righteous and powerful hand. So hand is, you see, a description of God's power, God's strength, God's authority. Even over the problems of his people. He's able to use his power and deliver his people. Isaiah 65, 44. Before they call, I will answer. While they are yet speaking, I will hear. You see, his hands are represented. His ears are represented. I'm going to act. I'm going to deliver my people. I'm going to hear the cry and the prayers of my people. This is who I am. That's what God is saying. So what's the problem? If this is who God is, and he promised his people that he will deliver them, that he will act on, the, on their behalf, that he will hear their prayers, why does it seem that this is not happening? Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened, it cannot save, or his ear dull that it cannot hear. You see, my friends, the problem is not God. The problem is not because God is unable to deliver his people. He already promised them. The problem 
is the sin of the people. The problem is the sin of the people. Listen, but your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. The issue here is not God's inability to deliver, but God is unwilling to deliver. You see? He's unwilling. And the issue is sin. The issue is sin. David understood this in Psalm 66, 18. Listen carefully. If I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. You know, cherished is a very sovereign English word. If I have cherished, cherished iniquity in my heart means if I love sin, if I uh, hold sin as, uh, as uh, a dear friend, if I love, cherish sin, iniquity, and then I pray to God, God is not going to listen. If I pray, being engaged in iniquity, in abomination, God is not going to listen to the prayers of these people and to our prayers. So plain, so clear. Proverbs 28, 9. If one turns away from his... If one turns away his ear from hearing the law, even his prayer is an abomination. If you close your ears to heed God's law, then your prayer becomes, to God, it becomes an abomination. James, in James 4, 2 and 3, tells us, you desire and you do not have. So you murder, you covet, and you cannot obtain. So you fight and quarrel, you do not have. You ask, do not receive, because you ask wrongly to spend it on your own passions. You see, beloved, when we pray to God for help, God sees our hearts. God sees our motive while we are praying. For what purpose we are crying to God. He knows our intention. He knows our hidden agenda, you see. He's God. He's all-knowing God. He's, he's, he's omniscient. He, he sees everything. He knows everything. So here God refuses to Use his hand and ear because of the sin of the people, not because of lack of power. For example, in Jeremiah 32, 24, God said, Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is anything too hard for me? Answer, no. So what's the problem? The sin of the people. The problem always is our sin, beloved. It's not God. God has never been a problem to anyone. We have been a problem to God. And the problem is our sin. First point, sin 
is a very serious matter. We have been, you see, um, conditioned by the culture around us when it comes to sin. You see, the first thing that we learn here is sin distances us from our God, separates us from our God, alienates us from our God. From our God, in the Garden of Eden, when Adam and Eve fall into sin, the first thing that took place in their life was they were separated from God. The, the communion that they had with God was distorted. That's why they were hiding in the garden, you see. That's why God came to the garden saying, Adam, Adam, where are you? He's God. He knew where Adam was. But he was asking Adam to explain his condition, his spiritual condition. What's happening? Well, Adam was dead. Adam was separated from God because of his sin. Sadly, today, many Christians are conditioned by the culture around, around them. We take sin casually. Because the culture's message is sin is exciting. Sin is sweet. Sin is nice. And I want to address tonight our young children. Sin is not nice. Sin is not exciting. Sin is not sweet. But that, that's what the culture tells you. That's what maybe people in your school tells you. And when we hear that, you see, we stop taking sin seriously. We relax over sin. Even as we commit sin, sometimes we say to one another, isn't this nice? Isn't this good? It's not good. It's not nice. When a person sins, that person transgresses God's law. That person commits an offense against God who created him, who loved him before the foundation of the world, who gave up his own son, Jesus Christ, to that person, to die for that person on the cross, and then that person sins against that God. The reason is we don't take God's word seriously, and if we don't take God's word seriously, then the end of it is we don't, God, we don't take God seriously. That's what happened with these people. They took sin lightly, as nice, as sweet. So sin distanced them from God. You see, sin is to be separated from God. Shorter Catechism, question 19. You know, the question is, what is the misery into which men fell? And the answer, listen carefully. All mankind, by, by their fall, lost communion with God and are under His wrath and curse. That's what sin does. 
Sin breaks a communion with God. We become separated from God. You remember Abraham and the rich man. Abraham was in heaven, the rich man was in hell. And he was suffering and he saw Abraham from a far distance. There was a chasm uh, between the two of them. Um, And the rich man said, Father Abraham, let me come. Let me come to where you are. And Abraham said to the rich man, No, there is a great gulf between you and us. You can't come. You have been separated from God. You have been alienated from God because of your sin. Not only that, you see, uh, uh, notice verse 3. For your hands are defiled with blood, and your fingers with iniquity. Your lips have spoken lies. Your tongue matters. Wickedness. Very specific, you see. Uh, their hand, their lips, lips. They were uh, doing acts of sin and uh, wickedness. You go to Isaiah chapter 6. You remember, Isaiah saw God's holiness and God's majesty, and he fell on the ground and he said, uh, uh, Woe, woe to me, a sinner. I live among who? Among uh, people with, um, with sinful lips, tongue. Isaiah, he was a prophet. But Isaiah was saying, you know, I'm guilty by association with these people. These are your people. These are my people. I'm guilty. I'm, I'm a sinner. Even, even my tongue, my lips have sinned against you. The sin of the tongue. How often do we despise that sin? Treat it lightly. Oh, it's not a sin. It's just using my tongue. But Isaiah, you know, when he stood before God and God's holiness, even even the sin of his tongue matters. Muttered. James 3, 6 and 7. And the tongue is a fire. A world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life. This tongue, a tiny member of our body, can create a fire, can destroy us. So these people sin. Was separation from caused separation from God. It was very violent. Sin is violent by its own nature. They were murdering people. They were killing people. 
Not only that, you see, what is said about sin is sin comes from within, from within us. You know, often we blame other people, yes? We blame sa- Satan, we blame the world. We, play, we blame maybe people who hate us. You know, they, they, they uh, provoked me to sin. They are to be blamed. No, 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 no. Listen to Isaiah here. What he reveals to us. Their, their feet run to evil and they are swift to shed innocent blood. Their thoughts are thoughts of iniquity. Desolation and destruction are in their highways. It's here. It's within us. Isn't that what Jesus told his disciples and all of us in in, in Mark chapter 7, starting from verse 14, and he called the people to him again and said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand, there is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him, but the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked, Then are you also without understanding? Are, are you... Then are, are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him? Since it enters not his heart but his stomach and is expelled. Thus he declared all foods clean. And he said what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within out of the heart of man come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, Caviting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and they defile a person. Yes, Satan and the world, they have their own role. But our flesh, us, we are the problem. If we want to have receive remedy, cure from our God, we need to realize that. We need to acknowledge that. James, sorry, Romans 3, 9 to 11, a brother rich read to us. I'm not going to read it again. But Paul said, there is no one righteous. No one is righteous. All have sinned. And fall short of the glory of God. So the problem is the people's sin. Now we come to the confession. You see, once God exposed their sin, and once God showed them what sin caused in their life, then they all together, they say this, Therefore justice is far from us, and righteousness does not overtake us. We hope for light and behold darkness and for brightness, but we walk in gloom. For our transgressions are multiplied before you, and our sins testify against us. For our transgressions are with us, and we know our iniquities through confession. True confession. You see, once God exposed them, to their sins. 
and what their sins brought to them. Misery, destruction, God's anger and wrath. Then they repented. They confessed their sin. And it was a true confession, like in Psalm 51, 3, uh, like King David, for I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. And now these people are saying, yes, Lord, we have sinned against you. We are to be blamed, not you. It is not because your heart is, your hand is shortened to save us. It's not because your ears are dull to hear our prayers. It's our sin. It's our sin. They even tried, in verse 6, they tried to cover their sin by their works. Their works of iniquity. Have you noticed that? Their webs will not serve as clothing. Men will not cover themselves with what they make. Their works are works of iniquity and deeds of violence are in their hands. So they tried to do that, you see. They tried to maybe put, you know, a large offering. Maybe they fasted. Maybe they helped the needy, the poor. And they tried to cover their wickedness with those uh, seemingly uh, good works. But it didn't work. Because deep in their heart, they were wicked. They were wicked. They were separated from God. You see, no matter what a person does, you know, a person can attend church, can pray, can sing. A person can help, you know, poor, you know, poor people uh, do all kinds of good, good works. If that person is separated from God, there is no hope for that person. If that person is alienated from God, he needs redemption. He needs God's cover, God's garment of righteousness, not his own righteousness. So the remedy, the remedy, Isaiah 61, 10, is the remedy. I'm sure we'll come back to this at some point, but I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exult in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. Who, who closes us with the garment of salvation and righteousness? Our God. When, that, when does God do that? When we confess our sins. Then God closes us. With garment of righteousness. Adam and Eve were hiding in the garden. And they took leaves. And they tried to cover their nakedness. And God said to them. No, no, no. No, you can't cover your wickedness with leaves. From the trees. And then for the first time he killed an animal. In the garden. And then he covered them with the skin. Of the animal. Pointing them to Christ, the sacrifice of Christ on the cross. Only the blood of the Lamb will cover your wickedness. Isn't, 
Isn't that the reason why Paul in 2 Corinthians 5.21 said, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Praise God. We became the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. When we dressed his righteousness by faith, he became our cover. He covered us by his own righteousness. Tonight, if you have any righteousness in your life as a Christian, that righteousness is Christ's righteousness. It's yours. It's a gift from God through Christ. It is your righteousness. But you didn't earn it. You didn't work on that righteousness. Christ. Christ gave you his righteousness and you received it by faith. So, beloved, think about the Lord's Supper tonight. What do you see here? Bread and wine. You know, the, the, the work of Christ, all his benefits are represented on this table, including his righteousness that we have received in our life by faith. So the problem was sin. The remedy is redemption in Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Our gracious and heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for the gift of your word, the message of your word that always reminds us that we too need uh, to confess our sins. We are also sinners who are in need of repentance. So tonight, even before we partake the Lord's Supper together, we want to confess all our sins before you. We want to acknowledge all our sins before you, our God. Like the people of Israel, we also know all our iniquities, all our sins. And we plead with you, our God, for mercy. Have mercy on us. Cleanse us by the blood of your Son, Jesus Christ. O oh Lord, close us with the garment of righteousness the righteousness of your Son, Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.